Hi guys, Sam here. On the 1st of April, I'll be raising money for sick, disabled and disadvantaged Aussie kids by taking part in the Variety Spin for Kids Charity Day. Last year, I was able to raise over $500 as part of my team's $2,000 goal with a number of incredible donations from people around the internet wrestling community. This year, I hope we could do it again. Variety are a great charity that are able to step in when government support doesn't reach people in need, providing things like wheelchairs, communication and hearing aids, medical services, therapy and more for young kids. If you'd like to get behind Variety and support my ride, there will be a link in the podcast description and also on my Twitter. Thanks in advance, but now let's hit the music and get on with the show. Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on the podcast app of your choice and make sure you check out all of the other great shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is the creator of Styles Make Fights on Pro Wrestling Musing, Sergi. And we are looking at Maki Ito versus Ryo Mizunami in the first round of the Women's Championship Elimination Tournament. How are you going today, Sergi? I'm doing great. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get started, um, for those of you who don't know you, can you just tell uh, everyone a little bit more about Styles Make Fights? Because that's one of my favorite little hidden gems in, uh, in, in the internet wrestling media landscape. Well, as soon as uh, AEW came on the scene, I was really interested in the rankings and uh, in in how they worked that out in terms of, of applying kind of a savior metrics aspect to to pro wrestling. I remember I was trying to apply like ELO rankings to it, and uh, then I saw what Craig was doing with gathering stats on all of the types of offense being put out in every single match. Um, and I just thought that was really fascinating. And I wanted to look at, all right, we have this data. How can we put it into context better? What, what's some things that we can do to uh, get an idea of, well, what does that mean? You know, you, you look at a, a raw number of, uh, of strikes or grapples or whatever. It can be tough to, to understand what, what that means in context. And Styles Make Fights is a, a series of articles and a, a workbook, a, a tool using Google Sheets uh, that is intended to take the stats that, uh, that Pro Wrestling Musings has on all of the offense of uh, AEW competitors um, and putting it into context in different ways and being able to look at, okay, in terms of the general universe of all of the AEW matches so far, 50 strikes or whatever, what, what is that as a percentile? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and then uh, it, it also uh, shows them as uh, color-coded bars, graphs, and, uh, and then shows two competitors side by side. Um, allowing you to do some comparison or different aspects of competitors side by side. So if I want to, I can take a look at um, one competitor's uh, stats uh, through this time period compared to that time period. So like uh, before they won a belt compared to after they won that belt and see if it made a change or mm. uh, a change in character. If they if they turned heel, did, did it change how they fought? That kind of thing. And uh, I, I think that it's uh, it, give, it shows some really... It gives us some really great insights into how it works. People will say that stats don't mean anything because it is not a shoot uh, competition. And I think that's completely false because uh, uh, if you look at it, you will discover that what they do is by choice uh, because this is something that they're they're choosing to do. There, there's creative decisions that they're making involved in what types of offense they use and, and et cetera, et cetera. But they make very careful choices, and, and, and it, it really gives you a great insight into how wrestlers think and how they put together what they do uh, to look at it this way. 
Yeah, certainly agree. Pro, Pro Wrestling Musings is a website I've had a little bit to do with. I've done a few little contribution pieces on there. Um, but I look, we're all massive nerds. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> chances are you're a pretty big wrestling nerd. Uh, and this is like really interesting stuff to be able to pull up and dig into and, you know, spend an afternoon having a look at. Um, or, you know, before a pay-per-view, pulling up the, the two wrestlers and, and comparing them. So I definitely um, suggest if you if you haven't ever checked out Styles Makes Fights on Pro Wrestling Musings, it's, it's worth digging into. Uh, and you've sort of mentioned before um, that, you know, being, doing this stuff has, has contributed to what how you felt about AEW and has been a part of your AEW journey, so to speak. But by way of uh, introducing, I guess, how you personally got into AEW, um, when did you first discover it and, and how did you get into it? Well, um, I, I was aware of AEW um, and following AEW since before the beginning, the All In, uh, the, the very first show that isn't actually an AEW show, but is sort of the precursor uh, to AEW. Um, and, uh, like Show uh, Zero, really the pilot. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's not technically AW, it's technically sort of ROH, but uh uh but it's very much the uh the testing the waters. Um I, I remember the uh um the bet. Uh, at the time I was probably still a pretty big fan of NXT and uh uh for a little while I was a fan of both um going into it, but uh there were just a few things about the way that WWE uh product was being presented uh, that was just kind of turning me off at that point. Um, I really enjoy it. I think the best way to um, uh, to to sum it up would be that uh, within within the course of a few weeks, or really within the course of a show, the uh, the character of the fiend went from one of the main reasons for me to continue watching WWE to one of the main reasons why I realized I, that this, this show isn't for me anymore. Um, and it's the point at which I realized that they meant for his little world to be a place that someone could actually go, not not a representation of something mental that that he's uh, put into a pre-tape uh, that that he's put together creatively, and this this is presenting something within my mind. But that um, who was he feuding with? Seth, Seth Rollins. Rollins. You're talking actually, about when Seth Rollins burnt the burnt the, thing, the the thing down, yeah. Uh, yes, he burned it down. It's just like, well, I suppose that's his, that's his catchphrase, but still, yeah. I, I was just like, no, that's, if that's what you mean by it, I, yeah, that's not, and you know, it's the same thing with Lucha Underground. I really enjoyed their wrestling, uh, but at some point, uh, uh, I think that uh, one of the characters murders one of the other characters, and it's like, oh, this is that kind of show. That's not. Mm -hmm. I, it's just it just broke my suspension of disbelief in a way that AEW is very careful not to. Um, I think there was one case where uh, Tony Khan said, "You know what? You're Matt Hardy. You know your character. I'm going to let you do this, and we'll see how it goes." Mm -hmm. And they did the teleportation, and uh, and and it was poorly received. And ever since then, he's been like, mm, you know, this is yeah. the level of suspension of disbelief that our fans want and yeah. that we're not going to go beyond it. I think to be fair to, to Lucha Underground, they they set themselves up to be a more fantastical universe and a bit more mm -hmm. of like a, a sci-fi fantasy world that wasn't yep. grounded in the reality that you and I both live in, whereas AEW grounds itself in that reality, which is why that didn't work. It's why the one of the reasons that like the Nightmare Collective didn't work, you know, they were they were sort of doing something with that where it was like it was all in Brandy's head, but it was also happening on the screen. Um, you know, and, and you're right, They since those early forays, they've really not done anything like that. They've made sure that everything, even, you know, like this Malachi Black stuff uh, is very much grounded in grounded in the universe that we you and i live in today uh and and i guess that that uh stuff happening with the fiend probably coincided very nicely with when dynamite was kicking off as well so yeah, exactly. um, it was just so, a case of and you know to i have jump a off one ship onto the other <laughs> exactly i yeah. have a better option than this that that caters to what i'm looking for in yeah. wrestling I'm going to go with that um, yeah. because even though at that point, of course, uh, Danielson was still there. And one mm. of the main reasons why you'd be like, well, I still want to follow him. But it's that there was a feeling of as long as he's there, there's this uh, ceiling over what he can mm. accomplish because he's within that context that that kind mm. of uh, uh, constrains him. And, and I think that's what he said since he's uh, arrived at AEW. It's like, yeah. hey, 
I loved working in WWE. There are many great things about it, uh, but I'm free to really wrestle here. <laughs> and I, I, um, I maintain that up until, for myself at least, I was a fan of AEW, same as you, from before it even began. Like I was a fan of BTE, a uh, fan of All In. The people who listen to this podcast are sick of me talking about it probably. Um, but <laughs> in terms of WWE, like I was still following them week to week and, and very much invested up until WrestleMania that year in 2019. It was only really later in that year when I really was just like, I'm just not going to even bother following this anymore. Um, there was a lot of stuff that happened after that WrestleMania, which was a really good WrestleMania, the best WrestleMania they'd had for a number of years at that point, with things like Kofi Mania, which Brian was invest was involved in. I was heavily invested in the Seth Rollins title feud and the, the run he'd had with the IC title up until that point. You know, they had a great little program with the Shield leading into it and then even afterwards a little bit as well. There's a lot of good things going on at the start of 2019, but, yeah, man, a WWE picked a, a hell of a time to really go off the rails um, sort of over that summer and, and into, as mm-hmm. you said, there was a lot of people who loved the fiend, but then that hell in a cell happened. And, and that mm-hmm. certainly that a lot of people lost faith at that point. And there's been plenty of people who maintained it afterwards, of course, and rain became, was an incredibly popular character. Um, but there was a lot of people who was like, no, nah, the magic's gone. And then it just, you know, got further and further dragged through the mud. Um, as you said, with, you know, things like that happening where it just breaks what they previously set up for him. Anyway, look, this isn't a podcast that is meant to be about ragging on the WWE. I was a massive WWE fan for a long time, so I don't want to bring that too much into it. But Absolutely. for a lot you know, of people... Is, you go. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, You know, I completely agree. I, I think a lot of times AEW fandom can really fall into dogpiling. Uh, mm. And it's just like, you know what? It's not for yeah. me it's not for you it's for somebody and mm. let them enjoy it you know yep. that's that's my attitude Indeed. there's no reason to the only reason i brought it up because it is an essential part of the answer to the question what what brought you to aw like yeah, well a big part absolutely. of it was becoming disillusioned with wwe and that's just my uh, personal taste and blah 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 mm. fine for anybody who still is enjoying it and look, I think it's now is a good time to introduce the match as well because we're not looking, we're not talking about a match that was universally loved at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of course, as I mentioned previously, we are looking, and if you, you know, you read the title of the podcast, you just press play on. Uh, we're looking at Makito versus Rio Mizunami, the first round of the Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament. Uh, as we always do here on on the AW Match Guide podcast, we're going to give this match its flowers. Dave Meltzer did not rate it. <laughs> Um, Cage match has it in its 6.74, uh, where we did the definitive match guide. It came in 60 seconds. So, um, Serge, you actually hold the uh, – this is the first time we've covered a match on this podcast that didn't make the initial top 50 cutoff for the definitive match guide uh, when it was voted on um, by a whole bunch of people across the internet wrestling community from all different websites and stuff. Lots of different opinions there, lots of diversity across the across it. This one didn't make the cut. It did get a few votes, um, but it didn't make the cut of uh, that top 50 that we we profiled when we published it and i guess that leads me to ask why did you want to do this on the podcast well you know i i definitely have uh some tastes and preferences that are uh, a little bit out of the norm and uh definitely wanted to focus on something like that first i wanted to look at like is there a women's match that i think i'm really excited about and that uh, about talking about and is there a match that i know that i like more than most people so that i'm not stepping on people's toes that want to like we were talking about that want to talk about um uh, cody versus dustin the the really popular (laughs) matches and uh you know when we were talking about what are some matches that uh, we could cover, I mentioned a Darby Allen match that I really like. And you're like, yeah, somebody really wanted that one. It's like, okay. And then <laughs> this this match came to mind. It's like, okay, that's that's a match that's in my top 10 uh, when I put in my ballot um, that I know that probably isn't wasn't on hardly anybody else's ballot, uh, much yeah. less than their top 10. And, and I'm really keen. I didn't vote for this one, but I'm really keen to, to dig into it because I rewatched it. It was quite enjoyable. Uh, and watching wrestling week to week, of course, we have these giant tentpole matches. You mentioned Cody versus Dustin. You know, everyone wants to do a podcast about the Young Bucks versus Hagman, Adam Page, and Kenny Omega. We'll do that one day, of course. Uh, But 
the wrestling week to week is made up of matches that are about mostly matches are about 10 to 15 minutes long. Uh, and it's about seeing what people can do in that time. Uh, and this is a match that I think really maximizes its minutes uh, and does a lot with not much with two characters that the audience is most of the audience probably is very unfamiliar with. So I'm really excited to, to dig into this match a little bit more. And, that, and that's another reason that I that I chose it is that they it, it is a match that does an excellent job of introducing two comp- completely brand new characters. Exactly. Two characters yep. that most people had never seen before, uh, or in the case of Ryu Mizunami, had seen just very minimally uh, yeah. when th- she had shown up in AEW before. Yeah. But uh, uh, it gets over who they are and why we care mm. in such an amazing yeah. way. Yeah, so the match, of course, was part of the Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament, which was put together across January and February of 2020 uh, in the lead-up to AEW Revolution 2020. Uh, and it was filmed across America in Daly's Place, on across Dark and Dynamite, and in Japan, with the Japanese selection airing on YouTube across two special episodes where they did the two rounds of the tournament <clears throat> to see who would progress from that side of the tournament to face off against the finalists from America. The ultimate prize, of course, for winning the tournament was going to be the opportunity to challenge Hikaru Shida for the AEW Women's title at the pay-per-view revolution. Uh, just broadly speaking, when this tournament was announced uh, and as it got rolling and the people got introduced, how did you feel about the tournament, Sergi? Well, you know, the tournament was an amazing thing because one of the biggest knocks on AEW was that the uh, the women's division is not booked well enough, is, is weak, etc., and that's still a knock on the AEW women's division because uh, it, it's gone up and down a bit. Um, and mm. this is definitely one of the high points uh, where um, people who had been frustrated uh, with the women's division said, OK, now it seems to be going in a good direction. And they weren't, unfortunately, able to maintain that as much as people might have hoped. But uh, it, it did a really great job of uh, introducing some new ideas, um, getting some characters over and giving the whole division some momentum. Now, on the flip side of that, I know that there are people with equity-minded perspective who looked at the Eliminator tournament and and said, well, in a men's Eliminator tournament, we wouldn't have had YouTube specials. All of the matches would have been on Dynamite. Mm. And uh, like, well, yes, yes and no. I mean, when the Men's World Championship Eliminator tournament, tournament was running, there was a that, – that was that – was, the very beginning of the pandemic when there was, you know, they had very little to work with and, and you know, that they, they were kind of hurting for content to fill out a dynamite. Um, when things are a bit more busy, I can see how every tournament match making it onto dynamite might not have worked out. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the assumption that uh, a, a YouTube special is uh, inherently a lower thing just because dark is on YouTube I think that's the was the wrong perspective. I mean, if we look forward a little bit to um, when SmackDown uh, and uh, Rampage had their um, a little collision, they had a YouTube special to buy in, and uh, that was considered very high profile. You know, you had Danielson uh, versus um, uh, versus Minoru uh, Suzuki. Uh, yeah. Suzuki, <laughs> like and, literally you know, a match that for, for that match, like literally. The year before, I did a fantasy draft where a bunch of us took wrestlers who'd wrestled over the last decade. We put together our dream rosters. I had Daniel Bryan and Minoru Suzuki in my promotion that I'd selected, and I was thinking about putting them off as a, as a dream match. Those two, like I pretty much booked that match, and then it happens, and it's on YouTube. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like that's a good perspective to take. When I heard about this, like. I was so excited. Tournaments are always exciting because you get the lineup and there's just so much storyline possibility, so many different things that could happen. And in this one, you had some people you know, some people you didn't know, and that just allows you the mind to run wild with fantasy. And then as it goes through, it's a fantastic way to, you know, book out some TV because it, it's it's written there. You They match against each other. They have a match and then they someone progresses, someone doesn't progress. And, mm-hmm. and wrestlers can take stories throughout the tournament where, you know, like maybe they get injured in the first round. So they're fighting against that. You know, they've got to fight through that injury as the tournament progresses or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they have a, a giant win in the first one or there's an upset. Tournaments are always fantastic. And this felt like such a shot in the arm for the division. As you said, that division – look, it was 
in a really rough place in 2020 particularly. Uh, and this, of course, happens at the start of 2021. And this was just such a fantastic way to get things off and running in 2021 and, and felt like a really unique concept as well, having it spanning across America and Japan. Particularly, like I love, we'll, we'll get into it when we talk about it, but I really like the presentation of the Japanese side of the bracket. felt different. It felt unique. Uh, and and to what you were saying, I guess, I, I do understand the, the criticism of like, oh, this wasn't on the main TV show, like the premier TV show. But I, I feel like they did air a lot of the women's side of the bracket on the TV show, uh, the American, American side, side, sorry, yeah. um, of the bracket on the TV show. But the Japanese one, you know, it's in a different location. Uh, it's a very different atmosphere. I, I don't know how it would have worked if they tried to intersplice it with Dynamite, given that Dynamite is theoretically being done as like a live broadcast. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it would have worked at all. Um, and I think it worked well the way that they produced it with two episodes. Getting into the actual people in this match, uh, of course, Rem is an army, as you mentioned, she had previously appeared in AEW uh, as part of the Joshi Six-Woman Tag Match at Double or Nothing in 2019. She is, of course, a veteran of the Japanese Indies, has wrestled a veritable who's who of there, uh, of the of the Japanese Indies. And Maki Ito on the other side of the, of the ring, originally a Japanese idol uh, who transitioned over into wrestling. Uh, wrestling has been slowly sort of making a name for herself, working her way up in the industry, most prominently in, in Tokyo Joshi Pro. Sergi, obviously, as you mentioned, and we'd seen Ryu Izanami once before, but were you at all familiar with either of these uh, either of these wrestlers when they were announced? Uh, Ryu Izanami, of course, I'd seen her at Double yeah. or Nothing, but she hadn't made like any major impression on me. It's like I remember vaguely what she looked like, and and that that she had sort of a uh, superstar, you know, sunglasses kind mm. of a, a deal going on, but uh, you know, I couldn't have told you anything much more about her at the, at that moment. Uh, Maki Ito. Uh, is um, what I think a lot of people would describe her as a meme wrestler uh, in the sense that uh, being very online, I was pretty aware of her fandom and of her gimmick uh, just because, you know, just the, the whole thing, the, the uh, uh, calling people um, simps and, uh, and swearing a lot and, and just her whole deal uh, had, had sort of... Uh, become very memeified and and uh, mm. and aware of on the internet but I'd never actually seen her uh, I hadn't gone far as far as to like well let's let's take a look at this person's wrestling you know and uh, but but I was generally aware of of her and curious about her it's like okay this I've heard about this person let's see what 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 she's like in in a match that they know that this is going to be seen by an audience that hasn't seen them before. So they're going mm -hmm. to be, have that in their mind and, and they're going to present themselves like here's, here's who I am. And so it's like, well, this would be a good match to start with for someone who's curious about this person. Yeah. And it turned out to be a very much that it's like, Oh, this is a perfect introduction. It's like, if you've never seen this person before you get to see, this is what Maki Ito is about. And this is what Ryo Mizunami is about. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I agree. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much in the same bucket basket as you when it comes to Rio Mizunami. Uh, I guess from that Joshi six woman tag match, that was six wrestlers that I'd actually no minus Aja Kong. Of course, I'd seen heard of Aja Kong before. Um, but apart from Aja Kong, like I hadn't seen heard of or, or ever seen any of those wrestlers before. And she wasn't one of the ones that stood out to me in terms of one that made an impression. So when she was announced, I was like, oh, I know that. And then someone mentioned, oh, she was in this thing. Oh, yeah, I remember her. She had the beaver tail or something like that. Um, so, you know, not someone who made a, a dramatic impact on me. And Maki Ito, I'd never heard of her before, honestly. But she made a, an immediate impact on social media when she's announced, I think, started calling people motherfuckers. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I and there was this person who released a – Man, I should have looked this up. But there was a really YouTube, um, <clears throat> little YouTube video that introduced her character and her history, you know, as this person who wanted to be loved, wanted to be adored, uh, but you know, wasn't <laughs> wasn't a very good idol. Uh, but when she was doing her idol work, sort of transitioned to wrestling uh, in a very organic way, but was not very good at wrestling either, got beaten by a lot of people and, and constantly getting beaten down, but always, you know, trying and trying and trying and, and eventually sort of starting to break through by hell or high water and, and by hook or by crook. And um, it's certainly someone with a very big personality, which we'll, we'll get into, of course, as things as things go. 
the the description of her story that you're giving is very much, uh, I would say, um, a simp's point of view of of her story, which okay. is to yeah, say, that, that's probably that, it, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, of of like, well, she tries so hard and and she's an underdog. It's like she's playing a character. Who, I mean, she is kayfabe not good at wrestling. That's her kind of like the way that QT oh, Mark. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like all of her struggles are intended to make her look present a certain way that that works within the story yeah. um and 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 to me not so much in a uh struggling underdog kind of way but uh in a whiny little sibling kind of way <laughs> but yeah. that's that's my impression and i know yeah. that she well, has fans who feel the exact opposite <laughs> i mean i wouldn't exactly call her like bret hart from an in-ring technician standpoint but i get what you're saying <laughs> well yeah i mean not to say that she's the greatest joshi yeah but yep. she is uh, someone who portrays intentionally uh, yep. being kind of hapless, uh, yep. And, yep. And, and it works very well in the stories that they tell. Yep, yep. The actual match itself, of course, it took place in a, a little small warehouse with a ring, no mm-hmm. crowd, next to no crowd. I think there were a few extras in there, just a ref, a cameraman, and, and a few other people hanging around. Very bare bones, like Spartan-like setup. What did you did you think of what they did with this warehouse here? I think it's actually Emi, Emi Sakura's school, maybe. Oh, mm-hmm. What yeah, did you think of it? Yeah, that's the impression that I got. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and like you were saying, and I completely agree, is that uh, it, it really sort of uh, it, it was a fre- breath of fresh air. Is maybe not the right word. Just a it, it was a change of pace, a, a really interesting change of pace. It's like this is this is different. Uh, this is definitely it, it is what it is in the sense of. This is a simple taping. We mm. are here to tape something. One of the things that really struck me in it uh, was just the way that uh, everyone had to play to the camera uh, because that's the only that's the, mm. all there is to play to. And you know, when when you see something like that, it it, it just emphasizes how much uh, wrestling is about uh, performing for an audience. Uh, mm. And it just kind of makes it weird when the audience is just you. I mean, yeah. the, the, the the view of the camera and they're, the, you know, they're, they're, you know, just projecting towards that camera because that's all there is to project to. So, but I don't think that it hurt in this case. I mean, there are definitely, and, and partly because it was this sort of a sleeper match that, that we were talking about. Like this isn't a high profile match that everybody had been looking forward to. This is a match that might be a favorite of, of mine in the sense of, you know, one of those, like, I think this is better than people give it credit for. Um, but it's not like a faded confrontation mm. where it's, you would say, Oh gee, if only there had been fans there to, you know, to add that extra oomph. Yeah. Yeah. When you saw their side of the bracket, you were looking at, you know, of course, Aja Kong, Emi <laughs> uh, Sakura, who, who'd been more high profile, uh, and then um, Yuka Sakazaki as well. You know, they're the three names that stood out for, for most AEW fans because they're people that, you know, we'd had a bit more experience with. This was probably like the, you know, the third or fourth most anticipated match on on that YouTube, on that show in that first round. So, yeah, um, but, you know, you wouldn't have. <laughs> it was, was a bare bone setup, but you wouldn't have known it if you if you if you just listened to the announcer. He was announcing them like they were walking out to a, a packed out Tokyo Dome. I love as I said in the the Veniverse Emmy Secure episode I did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I love the performance of this guy, just really giving it all, um, even just in this little empty warehouse. Um, Maki Ito first out, mic in hand, singing a song, pulling out some moves that would you know draw attention even in the most crowded of dance floors. Um, Sergi, have you ever? Pulled off moves like Macchiato does, does in this introduction here. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is that she comes across as a very precise and and very intentional performer. Um, and I think that's a really big part of her character is that that she's a performer. Her her ring gear looks like the costume of of someone who's a part of a performance, who's who's going to be on a stage uh, mm-hmm. of of some kind. Um, which, uh, you know, uh, I think contrasts really nicely with Ryo Mizunami. Her whole ring gear gives the impression, tells you a little bit about her character, where she's supposed to be mm-hmm. more of a, a star. Like, I'm mm-hmm. a star. I, In my mind, at least, I'm a huge star, and, and I act like one, whereas uh, Ryo, uh, Maki Ito is like, I'm a performer. I'm here to convince you to love me to to you know sort of a sort of kind of a desperate performer like uh yep. you know i, I i'm <laughs> just really 
you know, I, I want to make you decide to love me. And, and she doesn't, doesn't do it. Yeah. Well, wrestling. But, she, wrestlers, but some people just do. Some people yeah. do. So it's just, but yeah, go on. Go ahead. Wrestlers. Look, wrestlers sing their theme song when, particularly when they can hold a tune. That's always a good look in my books. Like it's always interesting. You know, there's probably a cap on it. You're probably not going to have your, your male world heavyweight champion singing their song to the, the ring. But then again, like tell that to Tyson Fury, right? <laughs> he, he would probably sing himself to the ring if they'd let him. He certainly sings on the, on the mic after he, after he wins sometimes. So, um, and that's one of the, one of the absolute certified baddest men on the planet. Um, as you said, Rio Mizunami comes out second, I really like her look, you know, like a really cool robe, cool looking sunnies, short, like punky, spiky blonde hair. And in the the colors of the mighty Newcastle Knights, blue and red, um, that probably <laughs> means nothing to anyone but me listening. <laughs> I really like her look, I think. And, and I like her, as we'll get into, I think she's a very charismatic performer in her own way as well. Uh, and as as the match starts, Rare starts out by taunting Maki Ito even and but does accept a handshake, locks up early, Maki Ito backs Mizunami up into the ropes, gives her a forearm to the head, and then demands one, and um, Rio Mizunami hits her so hard that Maki Ito starts to cry. <laughs> we mentioned early, like, this is a match that maximizes its minutes. Like, mm-hmm. What a way to introduce these two characters, Sergi. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that it's really interesting the way that, uh, I mean, it starts out with the ref trying to get a clean break. And and Ito's like, nah, and gives her the forearm uh, when uh, when she has her in the ropes. But she's like, hey, fair's fair. I want to give you a free shot, too. And she gives the, uh, you can hit me as hard as you can. I can take it. And, uh, you know, she can't a, take completely, it. <laughs> a completely normal spot to see in a, in a wrestling match. Someone like, I could take it, hit me. Uh, and, but when she does, she falls to her knees and then obviously fake wailing, crying. And then Mizunami looking around like with utter bewilderment, clearly has not uh, uh, scouted her opponent. See, but she doesn't sure realize she's actually before. wrestling an anime character. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, once the, the the fake cry draws her in, uh, she recovers instantly and then she stomps and grinds her toes. Uh, and it's just like it's hilarious, like the immediate and pulls a face and like pulls a face like, you know, she's a five year old. Yes. <laughs> like yes. she is. I'm convinced she is an anime character. Like that is that is something you would see in an anime, that exact face that she pulls at this point. I think she like puts out a tongue and like points under her eye. That's right, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and what what comes across to me is the idea of that this is someone who fakes a lot, uh, mm. and that, that this is this is what she does, and that you can't take as earnest uh, anything that she's saying or doing. And and mm. and she she makes that really clear that this is this is what she does, and that it's very much the sort of thing that like if you have seen siblings. Uh, you know, trying to uh, basically it's it's like two siblings and, yeah. and, and one of them is, is trying to uh, convince their parent uh, that that the other one is is, you know, abusing them. Uh, but, you know, it's completely made up at, at the parent yeah. in this case being the referee. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, it, and I that's why, to me, the character is, you know, something that I think that for most audiences is going to get really under their skin because most people can relate to that, mm. that they've, they've had a, um, a sibling or a cousin or, or, or their children squabbling that way. And then yep. they're like, Oh yeah, th- that, that whole, you know, faking, uh, being hurt to get attention mm. and to get the other person in trouble. You know, that's, <laughs> it, it's very relatable in terms and, of and a, done in a dislikable very, attribute and yeah. but done funny. Absolutely. Done in a very done dramatic, a dramatic, way. and I think comedic and well done way. But mm-hmm. yeah, very comedic. Um, yes. and and look, if Makiedo is sorry, if Ryu Mizunami is in fact the the older sibling in this case, she's <laughs> definitely exactly. definitely definitely more powerful, definitely stronger, and shows that you know in the next next few minutes, taking over the match, hitting some shoulder tackles, kicks, chops in the corner. Um, what did you think of of Ryu Mizunami's offense, Sergi? Well, Ryu Mizunami has some really great offense. But uh, I think that 
in this match, uh, it's more about her character in the sense that she needs someone, uh, like later in the tournament when she's up against Aja Khan, mm. she needs someone that's established to be tough to, to really show, you know, how strong her offense is intended to seem. Whereas yep. someone who is the opposite of tough, like Maki Ito, uh, it, it's tough to really get a real feel for you know, what her power level is supposed to be established at. Um, oh. But it, but as far as the character side of it, uh, she does, it, it, it's great for bringing out who she is and, and her her sort of attitude. I, I actually disagree with you. I think they did yeah. a really good job of getting her, her sort of power over. Of course, like, it helps, you know, if you can make Aja Kong sell, of course it's going to make you look tough. But the way she just, like, cleaves through Maki Ito and, and cleans her out in just about every instance when they have a fair exchange... I don't know, for me personally, I, I felt like it really did a good job establishing her power, her dominance in this match. Um, even though, of course, as, as we as we'll talk about, Marquita does fight her way back into things. But yeah, I think I think she looked really good in this in this match. And it was given where this tournament's heading, I think it was a really great start off for Rhea Mizunami. Um, I also love her, like she's got a bit of a unique charisma to her as well. I love the little rope spot she does in the middle of the ring where she sort of like pretends there's a rope and pulls herself along it, pulls herself along it, and then, uh-huh. you know, then goes and hits a giant clothesline <laughs> in the corner. I, I think that's a cool spot. As, as I said, I really, particularly watching this a second time, I was really captured by the way that she interacts with the camera and i can I, I think in front of a really big crowd uh if she was to get in front in on the regular get in front of the AEW crowd now um we'll talk about this more later on like where you think i think she'd really connect um because she she's very charismatic her offense looks crisp it looks good and i think she's good at bringing the audience into the match as we said makito she fights back but is ultimately outmatched uh, manages to counter a body slam attempts a hammerlock ddt and a running bulldog uh I think, like, as we've said, like, Maki Ito is a character that's meant to grind up against you a little bit, but I think there's charm in how she she really does go for it when she can, and she really does throw herself into it. There's charm in the way that she she lays it in when the time is right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing uh, that uh, Maki Ito has uh, that I think really works, is very effective for her, is that since she's established as as this character who is outmatched and just kind of has to pick her spots uh, because, you know, she's not going to be able to overpower anybody and she's not going to be able to out-wrestle anybody, really. Um, she kind of has to pick her spots. and, and But it, they, they've sort of established that she has a, a weapon that, that she can use that can't be taken away from her, and that's her hard head. Um, and I think it's really interesting the way that they established that very early on, her famed hard head, uh, and and that that leads up very nicely to the headbutt spots that that are coming up. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's really interesting. After the running bulldog, uh, you know, she doesn't press her advantage, but instead poses um, and asks who is the cutest in the world. But then uh, she does the mounted corner punches and uh, and, and then uh, lays Mizunami out in the middle of the ring. And then the setup uh, for this move, the Kokeshi Crusher, uh, is a lot like a people's elbow or a five-knuckle shuffle setup. Uh, you know, you've got your, your supine opponent, uh, and then you go to the ropes and jump and, and bounce off the ropes and go and then do a falling move. Mm. Real similar to, to a lot of really popular uh, moves like that. Uh, well, popular and sometimes hated, if you see what I mean. That, that they, they get a reaction, mm-hmm. whether good or bad. Um, uh, but in her case, it's this really amazing sort of fall. Yeah. <laughs> She's like so fall. straight when she falls. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons that she is a meme wrestler is that if you get a catch a the, the right frame of her falling it just looks surreal ridiculous <laughs> Why yes. is, exactly yes. ridiculous at that angle and, and just yes and, and it, uh, it, it seems like that kind of thing it, it seems simple because it's like oh well she's just falling and landing with her head but the way that she keeps her body so rigid 
there's been a lot of practice going to that and, and like thought to get it right and being like, I want to be dead rigid. And and you mentioned also before how she's yelling out these things. I, I said this in the the one where we um where me and Sam Roberts talked about the the other first round match that we covered from this tournament. But this the commentary performance is a tour de force from Escalibur. The way that he like translates, particularly Marquito's character, introduce and and talks about what she's doing, explains what she's saying, and and also gets over Rare Mizunami in such a short amount of time. Absolutely perfect performance from Excalibur there and that you know a one-man booth is never easy and he just absolutely slays it but you, you bang on about Marquito and the yeah, you know no, I agree though about Excalibur I think that uh, uh in the future Excalibur is going to be looked back on in kind of hmm. awe the way that people yeah. do with JR or the way that uh, certain fans do with um uh the, JR does the Jordan Oh, Gordon Soley. I, I was thinking of ECW's guy, uh, you know, uh, Joey, Styles. One man, Joey Styles, you know, people are going to look back and like, that was a golden age, you know, when he was doing this, uh, not yeah. to say that he's going to stop anytime soon, but I'm just saying, it's just, he is amazing in that he brings forward everything that a wrestling fan would want in a wrestling announcer and a play-by-play mm-hmm. announcer. You know, he knows everything and he has enthusiasm uh, and a great voice for it. Mm. Uh, so it's it's really, yeah, he does an a- excellent job in this whole tournament, um, and especially in this match. I, I just mm. really enjoy the way that he sets up and, and lets us into this world that's very uh, opaque. You know, this is, mm. this is people we've never seen before uh, with slightly different cultural customs, but in other Weird ways... setting. Mm. Exactly. But in other ways, wrestling is amazingly universal. Mm. There's so much about what they're doing that is immediately recognizable and understandable. Mm. Uh, so it's 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 really something. Yeah, moving along with the the match itself, after mm-hmm. Mizunami kicks out, I think between one and two, uh, after the Kokeshi, Makito gets Mizunami in a Boston Crab. I, I love yeah. Ryu Mizunami selling here, and then Ryu gets out of it, hits a really great power slam and a leg drop. I love the snap that she gets on her moves. And, and the way that she sells and the way that she – in some ways, like, the way that she she moves in the ring. I, I I started to, like, compare in my mind to Tomohiro Ishii, you know, like, not someone who is looking at you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a star wrestler. But once they get going, you're like, wow, this, this person really knows what they're doing, particularly, like, the way she kind of roared out of – the out of the Kokeshi at one and the way she's selling in the Boston Crab because that's you know that's the underrated thing with Ishii is um you know he's he knows sells things and is famous for that but the reason that that works so well is because of how well he does sell when he starts to sell and and I, I got those vibes and then the snap that was on Miyanami's moves when she hit them um I, yeah I was really loving Rare Mizunami um throughout this one and then yeah, of course this whole segment uh, is is mm. Ryo Mizunami's chance to shine. She's uh, yeah. showing what she does. But here's one of the great moments. She she goes for a clothesline, and uh, Maki Ito catches her arm. Uh, and, and then she does a headbutt to her elbow. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's just such a great, like, you have to have established the weapon in order for that spot to even make sense. Yeah. Like, this yep. person has an incredibly hard head. And then she does yeah. the, uh, you know... Not knowing that she would get great play-by-play, uh, she does the gesture to help get across. Like this is what's yep. going on here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, hard, hard head, figuratively and physically, <laughs> Makiito. <laughs> sure. um, yeah, they had a great, great strong style exchange, and of course, Rio ends up getting the better, battering down Makiito. And and look. That's basically the story of it. Before we get into the final stretch, like the story of this match is pretty simple. It's that Rim is an army is overwhelmingly more more powerful, but Maki Ito by by hook or by crook or by you know solid head <laughs> will fight her way back into it and, and you know sort of get the odd counter and get back into the match using that. We had an interesting exchange beforehand, um, and and there was talk on online after this match happened about like what the sort of the dynamic was of of this mm-hmm. match. Just before we get into the final stretch, I wanted to talk about that. I don't like the term Shades of Grey. That's the way it's most commonly portrayed. I just normally say complex characters, where you've got yeah. characters who, who will act with consistency 
Uh, and sometimes that will mean they're in in the position of what a traditional face would be. Sometimes that will mean they're in the position of a, what a what a traditional heel would be. I, I'd like to get your your opinion on this though, because um, I know you've got uh, you you wanted to share your thoughts on it. Like, who do you think fit into that face mold, and who who fit into that heel mold in this match? Well, you know, I agree with you that uh, more importantly, these are consistent characters. These are characters who know who they are, regardless of how they're reacted to. Maki Ito has some aspects where I can understand how some fans uh, respond to her as if she were a babyface, in the mm. sense that uh, she she kind of uh, openly asks to be loved, uh, mm. and 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 that that gets a response from people. Uh, but at the same time, uh, and and a part of her character that. Uh, uh, you know, shows insecurity and, uh, mm. and kind of an unbelievable sort of insecurity that, that fits her character and her story, uh, but also is really good at deflecting or, or, or should do a good job of deflecting any uh, accidental turning of her from the heel side. Mm. Uh, she then has contempt for people who do give her love, uh, that the whole thing of calling her fan simps, you know, that's like, you are an idiot for liking me is, is kind of a whole <laughs> deal. And, uh, and I think that that's uh, – it's, it's really an excellent way to, uh, to give people a character who seems desperate to be loved but also uh, has a way to deflect uh, uh, sympathy uh, and, and become less sympathetic. Yeah, uh, does have a – also has a very things. strong – also has a very strong social media game, which will help ingratiate you to, <laughs> to certain That's fans, right. regardless of, of what you do online. As as MJF found out at um, Full Gear, um, where people yeah. cheered MJF. Who cheers MJF? MJF? I don't want to see that. Ah. Uh, people were saying, well, he got cheered. He's like, he got a few chants. Any chant is too chant. many when it comes to that. I like. agree. <laughs> uh, well, you know, and I feel the same way about Britt Baker. It's like, I don't understand why people are cheering her. It's like... She's great, but she's a great bad guy. Can we boo, please? <laughs> eh, whatever. You know, you can't control fans. But I do think that uh, that she is a great heel and that that's her natural role. Uh, but she is also uh, very much a complete character. And, mm. and a situation could arise where it makes sense that people would forgive her faults mm. and see more her more likable side. Yeah. Which yeah, is a... what you were saying, the, the fact that she always tries and always struggles and and she is kind of a mm. um what's the word i'm looking for a uh, uh an underdog uh, yeah. but you know no more so than uh who's uh who's the guy in um what am i thinking of uh uh the, the wingman uh the uh the, the one who claims to be pretty but really is not oh peter uh, avalon peter avalon Yep. Here's some. He's someone who's always an underdog in every match, but that doesn't mean that you that you cheer him. Yeah. You know, there, yep. there's uh, there's the sort of schmuck character that mm. I think that people don't real. It's like there, there's a character, room for a character who uh, is really overmatched, uh, but is mm. still doable. Yeah, it's the kind of character where you know if you turn the dial one way a, a little bit on some aspects and the other way on other aspects, it it can really fit either side. You know, kind of like. The, the John Moxley character in the lead up to Full Gear before, unfortunately, he had to go into to rehab. You know, previously he'd been very much like this is the hero of the company. Like this man is the the man of the company. But then they're slowly like turning the dial different ways on him um, where that same character, you know, he's not he's not changing character or anything like that, but just different aspects of his life are coming to coming to be so different sides of that personality is showing on tv uh and all of a sudden he's you know maybe a little bit more furious a little bit more pissed off uh and then you know one thing leads to another and and you know i, I think personally at that point they were, they were aiming to to put him into more of a heel position but you know it's still a consistent character and i'm a big fan when they do that and and mark Ito definitely fits that but i think it's fair to say like you know she she played possum early on, and then when Rare Mizunami was distracted by that, she used it, used the chance to get a cheap shot in. Like that's not that's not something that you, your hero, the hero of your your piece, is going to be doing. And and from Rare Mizunami's, you know, just the way that she's um you know fighting through, and the way that she's kind of trying to bring people in through the camera, I think she's definitely like in the face role for this match personally. Of course, let's get into the final stretch, mm -hmm. Markido. 
wins that headbutt exchange you mentioned before, um, gets a big swinging DDT, goes for the diving Kakashi, but unfortunately misses. Rio Mizunami hits her with a, a huge spear, really big spear, and gets a close two count and immediately locks in a head and arm triangle choke and just ragdolls Maki Ito around until she gets a submission. Um, I really liked how she just sort of ragdolled her around at the end. That looked really cool. What, what did you yeah. think of the final stretch there? Oh, it was really great. I think that one of the things that I really like about it is I was watching this and taking notes and, and going through it one more time and was like, all right, now how does Maki Ito get out of, oh, she doesn't. It, completely <laughs> snuck up on me and i think that's great that that mm. sometimes uh sometimes a finish is like well this has to be the end mm. you know you've, you, we've all seen dramatic matches like that where it's like you say oh well this is it um and sometimes you say this is it and you're wrong you know that that can also mm. be fun but this was i think really snuck up on me it's like in the sense of it, it wasn't that it wasn't a credible end but i wouldn't have been surprised either if uh, Ito had found a way out of that uh, head and arm triangle. I, I don't want to. I, I love Excalibur. He does a great job in this match, but I think he does give a bit of a bad call. I it was I was watching it like a third time that last bit, and I was like, wait. He calls it as if uh, Ito is uh, rolling them around to try to get to a rope or try to get free. That's not. Minsunami is rolling them around to ragdoll her and 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 take her out of her game mm. and and uh, and beat her up a bit. I think that he uh, yeah. kind of miscalls that calls that last like a bit. like a crocodile doing a death roll. <laughs> exactly. As we said at the start, this match isn't like the greatest match that's ever happened in AEW, but it comes in at ten minutes forty five seconds. It is super digestible and really enjoyable. There there's art to having a short match where. You make the most of those minutes, you tell a story, you introduce characters, and this match, like, really nails it. I was going back, I hadn't watched this since the, the first time I watched it, and I only watched it once at that point. I I had a great time watching this this match. Like, if I've got 10 minutes, I might go back and check out some of the other matches in this this tournament because, you know, like, I haven't really watched a whole lot of them except for the, the Venny and Emi Sakura one again because we did it for this podcast. Like, this is a really fun match to get into and, and to watch. Well, yeah, and and uh, um, Ryo Mizunami's other matches in this series uh, and uh, uh, Yuka Zakazaki's other matches in this series are all really good. Mm. Um, I, I like this one especially because I think it does a great job at everything you're saying, but especially it does a fantastic job of just uh, introducing brand new characters to a brand new audience in a way that a person could get completely invested in them. Like mm. I, this, these are two of my new favorite characters. I would mm. love to see them back. Um, yeah, uh, we got uh, a little bit of a run of Rio Mizunami and, and actually she was back on dark briefly. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but Maki Ito has not been back in America. I can't wait till she is. I think she mm. is one of the greatest in that role of, of sort of a, a pesky antagonist, you know, she's yep. never going to be the uh, dominant uh, killer antagonist, the Britt mm. Baker kind of role, but as as the the pest uh, buzzing around the heroes that that they can't quite swat, mm. just fantastic in that role, and yep. she's just so yep. much fun to watch. And, yeah. and like you said, it's com- uh, and and also I believe that that's what I put in my comments in the uh, when I put it, submitted my ballot, just a compulsively rewatchable short match and yeah. uh, that, that's that's what i enjoy about it yeah I, I also watched this very differently knowing that Rhea mizunami won the won the tournament uh and this match as we said like her next <coughs> match against aja kong that's a very different matchup to maki ito but both of them combined to to really put Rhea mizunami over in a big way before she gets on the plane and, and goes into the to the final of this tournament and then goes up against Hikaru Shida. Like she plows through Makiedo here, really. She doesn't break doesn't really break a sweat in in doing it. Even though, like as we said, Makiedo gets a bits in and really makes a strong impression. Like it wasn't because she was troubling Rhea Mizunami in a big way. Uh, and this was this was a really great way for them to to put Rhea Mizunami over in the first round of this tournament. As we said, like that was going to be my next question. Now we've sort of talked, gone through the match. Like, would you like to see both of these guys back? I agree. I think particularly Maki Ito has a character that I think would translate onto TV really well. Um, and she has a, she's a very likable persona. She's very like she she stands out. 
um, in terms of her look. And when she was in that one match, she made a big a big impression just with the one match that she did. I think if they're looking at people that they can bring over regularly now that restrictions are, are easing, I think she should be the top of the list if they can make it. Well, not top of the list. I think there's others that I would put there, like particularly Yuka Sakazaki. She's like top of the tournament. She's top of the division sort of potential. But as you said, like Maki Ito is someone who should definitely, they should definitely be looking into and sort of working out, you know, can we make the visas work? Can we make the time, the dates work? And, and have her as someone who's, floating around going into a program with Hikaru Shida when, you know, she's not in the championship going into a program with Tay Conti when she's not in the championship. She's someone that could definitely put in there. And same with Rhea Mizunami. Like, as I said, I really liked her snappy offense, really good selling. And I think she did avail herself well when she was given that bigger platform at revolution as well. Well, I, I want to address those two things. Uh, first, you were saying about how well this uh, this and the rest of the tournament uh, put over Rio Mizunami as a credible challenger uh, for the world title, um, and I, I agree completely. Even though she wasn't someone that anyone picked to win it from the get-go. Exactly. Yeah, she was not. Uh, she was not anybody's first pick. Um, but I think that it really put her over that she was able to get all of these really kind of surprising and unlikely victories. I mean, mm. in the first round, she goes over this person who has, uh, you know, it certainly isn't someone who is a big physical challenge, uh, but is someone who, you know, had a lot of internet fame and a lot yeah. of, a yeah. lot of people thinking like oh from the well, from the meta some... the meta perspective it looked like oh this is someone they're going to get behind because people like her exactly them. exactly and and, <laughs> and kicking her out in just the very first round it's like wow and, mm. and then she has to overcome this legend who you know doesn't lose very much uh besides mm. being an, an incredible physical challenge just like Aja Kong of course Aja Kong's not going to lose not in the not this early in not in the, the semi-final like that, that she does <laughs> exactly mm. and then you know at that once you're that late in the tournament you're up against someone who's already won twice in the in the uh, person of mm. uh, uh of the native beast uh Nyla Rose uh and and she overcomes Nyla Rose once she gets to America it, mm. is that the finals I guess yes uh, I mean, the finals of the tournament, and then she, of course, has yeah. to face uh, the actual champion. Yep. And, and, you know, at that point, after two r- rounds in a row, both of them are, are built up to the point that either of them beating the other would be a huge boost. And, and they chose Ryu Mizunami, and, and it mm-hmm. was a huge boost. And at that point, it was just like there was no reason to think that they're going to change the, the world title to someone that they're just reintroducing. But at the same yeah. time, they built her up so much that you could buy it. Like, maybe this is a big build to a new champion. Yeah. I That was probably the only drawback of the tournament, was that the winner wasn't... She was a credible challenger from a kayfabe perspective, but when, like, we all have the knowledge that this is... Like, that there's certain things that happen backstage that and, and you know, that have to be factored in. Um, when we're looking at who who's going to win when a you know when a big championship match happens, and I I don't think many people thought Mizunami would be the winner, and that's just that's just it is what it is. But you know I think a lot of us had, I thought it was going to be Yuka Sakazaki, uh, and that she would actually potentially win it because her and Brit have they've got old country beef like that hasn't been resolved to this day and she's a very That's captivating true. challenger who could have made a, a really interesting challenger for Brit you know because Brit Baker was obviously at that point the at some point going to challenge um it was just a matter of when um she was she was just a superstar in waiting so yeah it, it, that was probably the only drawback in terms of the legacy of this tournament um but overall i thought this was a really fantastic initiative this tournament in general uh and something that i'd love to see them do again i don't know if they'll do it this year um but it could just be something that they pull out you know in two years time say like mm-hmm. you know something's happened and we need to particularly because they've already done a tbs tournament recently so it's you know 
you, you can do too many tournaments, as New Japan found out in 2020. <laughs> uh, well, they, but, uh, they've got the uh, the Owen coming, too. Yeah. You know? that, they've, yeah they've, they've got yeah. lots of tournaments. They're in but, the you tournament. know, like down Which the line, you know, maybe maybe something happens and the championship is vacated at some point. Like, throw this, throw together, like, brackets from across internationally. Maybe, maybe like, do something in England as well or, you know, I'll 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 book out the local scout hall here in Newcastle and they can do something here. <laughs> no, uh, I, yeah, you make a really good point that yeah. uh, the whole concept of uh, uh, brackets being nationalized, yeah, uh, so that 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 you know, like you said, it gives it a grand it feeling. Wouldn't even it does, and and you know, it wouldn't have to be two brackets; it could be four. You know, mm. and and it's at the semifinals that everybody has to fly somewhere uh, and mm. and meet someone from the other uh, one of the other locations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that would be really interesting. Or what um, if like here's here's an idea that I've just thought of. What if like there's an FA Cup of wrestling, but for AEW, like you've got the two local indie blokes are fighting in this like two, but theoretically, like one of them could end up on you know on dynamite or on an AEW pay-per-view fighting for the title because they've somehow managed to get through like umpteen number of brackets but mm-hmm. you know what a cool like idea that could be uh if if somehow you're able to implement it <laughs> yeah it would be a great way to boost local or uh, uh indie wrestling uh around mm-hmm. the world it's like hey we're doing this this tournament um and uh you know uh, pick your best guy and your second best guy to be the guy to lose to him and, and, you know, send them to us and, and, and we're going to put mm. him into this tournament and then we're, you know, we'll send him back because he's not going to actually be the champion, but it's, he'll get yeah. some exposure. Um, yeah. and it'll give a, a lot of extra meaning to that match that determines which mm. of them goes to the tournament, yeah. uh, the, the yeah. qualifier match. Absolutely. Mm. Well, the other thing that you said that I wanted to address was, uh, you know, how much Maki Ito would be a great character in AEW today if they were able to bring her mm. back. Um, and uh, I think that one of the things about that is that when they had that big trios match uh, with Maki Ito teamed up with um, uh, Nyla Rose and I believe Britt Baker, was, um, great, yeah. that, that at that point, I don't think anybody knew for sure how long she was planning to stay. Uh, there was definitely, I, for me at least, there was a feeling of anticipation that this is going to be a fantastic run if mm. she's staying for a while. Um, and uh, they set up some things that I think uh, um, immediately made me say, this, this is going to be a great story. This is going to be really entertaining. And I'd love for them to get back to it. I, I'm sp- speaking specifically of, you know, her whole character revolves around this idea of, you know, she's very overmatched. Uh, by mm. the other wrestlers, uh, and she was giving Nyla Rose these amazing looks of, ah, here she could protect me, and it was just amazing, it was so <laughs> cool. Like, yep, yeah. that would be a great relationship of just you know the the bodyguard and and the uh, uh, another and, another fantastic Twitter Twitter follow as well. <laughs> like, oh, that's a very good point. Game. They both have a fantastic play. Twitter yeah. game, so yeah. that, that would make another reason to put them together for sure. Hey, look, AEW, these are free ideas. Just take them. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, but although I think that they had the idea of putting those two together. They, I, I feel like they hinted at it. It's just that, um, you know, as it turns out, was not staying in America that long. It could be a, you know, like, I'm not a giant fan of Vicky Guerrero being in, in, in AEW, but having her do the excuse me to interrupt Rhea Mizunami, uh, no, Maki Ito's um, introduction could be, that could be fantastic comedy fodder. So, <laughs> uh, look, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this match. We've sort of covered it all. Um <clears throat> As, as I said, like fantastically digestible. Really glad we got to cover it on the on the podcast today. Did you have anything else you'd like to to add on there at the end? Mm, let me think. No, I think we covered everything that I wanted to. Uh, I I really enjoyed this match. I enjoy these characters. I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, them coming back to America. Um, and uh, they definitely are examples of people that uh, make me want to. Uh, take the time and uh, try, try to bridge the cultural gap and 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 mm. watch some more Joshi wrestling than I have. Um, but uh, yeah, just great characters, a great match, introducing 
great new mm. characters to a new audience. Um, and if you haven't watched this match or if you haven't rewatched this match, it didn't make the big impression on you th- originally, watch it and let me know what you think yeah. as far as, as the uh, controversial thing of, like, is Maki Ito really the villain here? Or villains, maybe not the word. Is she the antagonist here? Or do her simps have it right and, and uh, we should all be rooting <laughs> for her, uh, rooting for her to, you know, overcome those obstacles? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, look, uh, tell the good people if they want to get into that dialogue with you sergi where can they find you uh the best place to talk to me is on twitter uh i'm i'm always following twitter it's where all of the pro wrestling musings people are and communicate with each other uh and uh, uh that's sergi alderman uh is is my name my very unique name and and uh therefore uh my handle uh yeah and, and i'm sure that it's it, there's gonna be a link in it in this video as well yeah, in the in the description on the podcast, you'll find a link to Sergi, uh, to all the things he does. Thank you very much for being a part of this today, Sergi, and for for bringing in a match that I did not expect to be covering when I theorised about having this podcast, but I'm very glad we did. And thank you to everyone out there who's listened to this podcast today. I've been blown away by the support that this podcast has been getting over the past however long we've been doing this now. Uh, and I, I really appreciate um, all of the all of the messages of support. As I said at the start, if you want, you can rate this on the podcast app or, that you are using, and that would be a big help. And, you know, if you have enjoyed it, why not tell a friend? Share it on social media or tell a friend who who loves wrestling to, to come and listen to the AEW Match Card podcast. And, of course, if you want to chat to me and you want to reach out to me, um, you can find me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Once again, thank you very much for being with me today, Sergi, and thank you for listening. for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.